Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will open your word this morning to our hearts and our minds, and our hearts and our minds to your word, for Jesus' sake. Amen. I want us to focus on the chapter in the Bible from which our New Testament reading has just come, Matthew 24, that's on page 829. So could you turn to that in the Bibles, in the pews, or perhaps on your electronic devices if you're watching from home online? For this morning, we are to think about Jesus teaching about war, related issues, and how to respond. And I have three headings. First, what happened in history? Secondly, from the first century to the second coming? And thirdly, Jesus' three commands. So first, what happened in history? Let me begin by telling you what happened on August the 6th, 1945. I quote, Suddenly a glaring whitish-pinkish light appeared in the sky, accompanied by an unnatural tremor, which was followed almost immediately by a wave of suffocating heat and a wind which swept away everything in its path. Within a few seconds, the thousands of people in the streets in the centre of the town were scorched by a wave of searing heat. Many were killed instantly. Others lay writhing on the ground, screaming in agony from the intolerable pain of their burns. Everything standing upright in the way of the blast was annihilated. Hiroshima had ceased to exist. That was the result on August the 6th, 1945, of single, a single small atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima. However, many years later, a US study said a single megaton weapon attack on a city like Detroit or Leningrad would mean up to two million dead and a further one million injured. A very large attack with megaton bombs against a range of military and economic targets in which the USSR struck first and the USA retaliated would mean death of the 77% of the American population and up to 40% of the Russian population being a more rural, scattered population. And many more would die from their injuries, from epidemics, and from ensuing chaos in the medical and social services. All that is unthinkable. But that attack on Hiroshima was unthinkable at the start of the First World War. But Hiroshima was thinkable and real at the end of the Second World War. And what Jesus predicted in Matthew 24, as we shall see, was in his day unthinkable and the nearest thing in the ancient world to a nuclear attack. But it equally happened. So look now at Matthew 24, verses 1 and 2. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these do not. Truly, I say to you, there will not be what left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. To the disciples, that and what Jesus subsequently said would have seemed unthinkable. For Jesus was predicting that Jerusalem, with its temple, would be utterly destroyed. And not only was the temple Jerusalem, 
uh, one of the wonders of the world, Roman world, with its marble uh, stonework faced with gold. But also it was the center of the universe for Jewish people. That's where you met God, with God in a special way. And that's where clergy help you sacrifice your animals to get right with God. However, Jesus had not only said there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. When he was later sitting down on the Mount of Olives, Jesus, Matthew 27, 24, verses 10 to, uh, 10 to, uh, 7 to 10, predicted what would lead up to that momentous destruction. Verse 7, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And verse 15 continues our reading this morning, stopped at verse 14. So verse 15, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in the house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. Furthermore, at the end of Jesus' prophecy, he says, verse 34, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So all this was going to happen in the lifetime of at least some of Jesus' disciples. But was he right? Yes, absolutely. What happened was truly terrible, for the Romans sacked Jerusalem in AD 70. And Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us it was a merciless siege lasting nearly four years. For the Romans tried to starve its inhabitants into submission, so parents were re reduced to cannibalism. Then eventually, in AD 70, troops stormed the city, reducing the temple and much of the city to rubble. The slaughter was horrific. Josephus, who was there, said that more than a million Jews died in the operation and more than 97,000 Jews were taken captive. So all that is what happened in history. The destruction of Hiroshima was terrible in AD 1945. So was the sack of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in AD 70. And that brings us to our second heading, from the first century to the second coming. The disciples' question on the Mount of Olives to Jesus was Matthew 24, verse 3, tell us when these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? Well, Jesus' answer 
uh, to the first question about these things was simple, AD 70. The answer to the second question about Jesus' second coming was less simple, for it's twofold. One, if you look on to verse 27, Jesus says it will be sudden, and so there can be no sign for preparation. As the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will, the coming be, of, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And Jesus insists, verse 44, therefore you must also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. There could be no special sign that enables anyone to prepare. The disciples, therefore, need to be ready for any time. So one, Jesus coming again will be sudden, and two, no one knows when it will be, not even Jesus. Verse 36, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So live faithfully each day as your last. Do not be like the wicked servant who, at the end of the chapter, in his master's absence, verse 48, says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him in with the hypocrites in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. However, this is important. We too can echo those words of the wicked servant, my master is delayed. But we've been waiting for nearly 2,000 years. And within these two, those 2,000 years, we can see how Jesus' teaching regarding the run-up to AD 70 and the sack of Jerusalem can be reapplied in Christian history, certainly in the West. For much of Jesus' teaching here is not about his second coming and the end of the world, heralding a new world beyond history. Rather, it was teaching about the end of a world and its collapse within history. For the sack of Jerusalem was a real collapse of the Jewish world. But at the same time, a positive revolution was happening. For with the destruction of the temple, the Christian church ensured its separation from Judaism and the gospel could be seen as for the whole world. So as Jesus taught in verse 14, in this new spiritual world order, the gospel of the kingdom could be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come when Jesus comes again. But what else has happened similar to AD 70 as we wait for Christ's return? Well, the sack of Rome in 410 helped the collapse of a pagan world order. And then Augustine, bishop and the fifth century theologian, helped ensure that the new medieval world had at least a Christian and biblical tradition. Then the medieval world collapsed in the 16th and 17th centuries, giving way to the Protestant Reformation. And importantly for us, and more and more are seeing that in the 20th century, the First World War, followed by the Second World War, heralded the collapse of the Western Judeo-Christian world order. 
The rejection of God from the Lisbon European Treaty of 2007 may be, may be seen as the tipping point, for it outwardly said no to the question the Western Christian worldview. Peter Leithart, a US theologian, has written about our world that he sees crumbling. One piece of evidence he cites is Romans 1. Quote, in Romans 1, Paul describes how God responds when men suppress the truth and devote themselves to idols. He judges us by giving us over to our sin. First, he releases us to sexual confusion, including unnatural same-sex desires. As we persist in those ungodly desires, he gives us over to more general moral, social, and political confusion. He makes the world go mad. We live in such a world. How we need to heed Jesus' teaching in Matthew 24, 1 to 14. But don't ignore verse 8. For as the faithful believers in a collapsing culture face fairish hardships, they must realize that all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. And the birth is the spiritual birth of individuals or the birth of new Christian influence culture, if before the Jesus return, um, as, uh, and as uh, verse 14, uh, again, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So one day, of course, a history-shattering day, the birth will be our Lord's return with power and great glory. And that route leads on to the third heading, finally, Jesus' three commands in 24, verse 1 to 14. So how practically do we live in our, should we live in our confused and collapsing world of the 21st century? Jesus gives us three commands. One, Jesus says, verses 4 and 5, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. There were false messiahs or Christs leading to political rebellions against the Romans, the Romans uh, before AD 70, saying, in effect, follow me, I will solve your problems. Of course, they came to nothing. And so we've consciously uh, to use our minds today and not be led astray by modern false messiahs. We've had a number of false messiahs over the last two centuries. They've claimed political solutions to the modern world's problems from Marx to Stalin to Hitler to Mao and all their followers in governments, universities and sadly some churches. And they've, but they've increased the world's collapse. So don't be led astray by contemporary false messiahs. And two, because some of use those false messiahs use violence and weapons to bring about their various utopias, verse 6, you will hear of wars and rumours of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. Jesus hears, says, don't be alarmed, but why? Answer, this must take place, verse 6. But why must actual warfare take place? Answer, because of sin. James 4, verses 1 to 2 explains. What causes quarrels, or literally in the Greek, uh, wars, 
and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. And so Matthew 27 verse 7 says, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. But because wars are due to human sin, that doesn't mean God is not sovereign over nations and kingdoms and the history. He is. And that is why we must not be alarmed. God is in control. Having his sovereignty doesn't mean God is responsible for the results of sin, as the patriarch Joseph classically said to his brothers in Genesis 50, uh, verse 10. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring, about it, bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Yes, God is in control, total control of history. History is not controlled by human wickedness and madness. It is controlled by God. Even when, verse 9, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Uh, thank God that collapsed, the collapse of the Christian world in Britain has not got to that level uh, yet. But worldwide, that's not true. For it's estimated that the 20th century was responsible for at least 25 million of the 70 million, a third, of Christian martyrs throughout the centuries. So one, don't be led astray by false messiahs. Two, don't be wrongly alarmed when you hear of wars. Be a peacemaker, but don't panic. God is in control. And finally, three, verse 11, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Jesus has said, see that no one leads you astray. If modern false prophets, false messiahs work through politics, Modern false prophets work through churches, so don't be led astray by them. Sadly, there seemed to be one recently for a senior bishop of the Church of England went out of his way to publicize his denials of biblical sex ethics as taught in Romans 1. And note verse 12, because of through these false prophets, lawlessness will be increased. That's ignoring God's laws. The love for God and others of many will grow cold. But the good news is, verse 13, the one who endures, who stands firm through trusting in Christ and the Holy Spirit's strength, to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom, again, of Jesus who lived, died and rose again and is reigning as King of Kings, uh, will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all nations. And then, Soon or after, many years, the end will come. For Jesus will come again, and Micah 4, verse 3, her Old Testament reading this morning. He will judge, yes, but also they, the soldiers, shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray.
Let's pray a, a prayer of set for Remembrance Sunday. Most gracious God and Father, in whose will is our peace, turn the hearts that turn their our hearts and the hearts of all men to yourself, that by the power of your Spirit, the peace that is founded on righteousness may be established throughout the world through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.